Well, that's a different kind of morning. Let's see here. Oh, that went around. That was kind of a fun morning, isn't it? If ever any of you were wondering, do generations worship a little bit differently? The answer is yes. But God is not a God of uniformity. God is a God of unity, and God loves diversity within a unified body. And so, so great that we got to celebrate that. Yeah. And we got to celebrate that this morning. So, well, good morning to all of you. It's been a while. Let me let you know. My name is Brad, uh, and I am a pastor here at Central Wesleyan Church. And I've uh, been out for a little while now. Actually, we were uh, in Israel for a couple of weeks, and uh, just wanted to say a quick thank you to all of you who were praying for us while we were there. Uh, we just got back uh, about a week ago. This is the group that we took. And uh, really grateful for, for the prayers because um, the first few days that we were there, it actually got really, really hot, like 25 degrees hotter than any point I've ever been in Israel during the month of May. And uh, we had some folks that, that struggled a bit and your prayers were welcomed. And then uh, about seven days later, um, our high was a 50 degree swing. And so we had people complaining about being cold. <laughs> And I was like, do you remember when it was 110 in the desert? So, uh, but we had about 10 people from Central who are part of this and a number of other folks from around the country and uh, just really appreciated um, for those of you who are praying for us. I wanted to share one fun thing with you because we've been in the midst of this stronger challenge. We've been talking about uh, the Jordan River and our group had an event at the Jordan River. We were doing something at the Jordan River and while we were there, a couple of the military helicopters were doing some training through the Rift Valley and so they kept flying over above us and then they would swing around they'd come around again they must have gone over us probably seven or eight times and what was really funny is that somebody in the group because we were doing something in the Jordan that people probably don't see normal people doing in the Jordan they took a picture of one of the helicopters as it flew over by and then when he got back to his room and put it on his computer he realized that in doing so they were taking a picture of us <laughs> oh, that was a fun moment when he shared that with us the next day. So, well, hey, friends, this is Student Sunday, and I couldn't be more thrilled to be bringing the teaching here on Student Sunday. And uh, if you need a copy of Scripture, our ushers are going to be coming down the aisles right now. Just throw your hand up in the air in a moment. In fact, I'll put that up right now. We're going to go to Acts chapter 13, uh, and that's where we're going to begin this morning. And here's the question that I want to answer. The question I want to answer this morning is this. What do you do when you don't know what to do? When you don't have things figured out? And because we're in the midst of, of Student Sunday and we're going to be celebrating the seniors at the end of the service, yesterday I was at a graduation party and I was talking to the graduate and I just asked the question, hey, what's next for you? What are you up to? And this is a very common question that people get asked this time of year, particularly for those of you who are seniors. And there's often some questions going on behind it, which is, well, what's next for you? Are you going into work? Are you going into college? If you're going to college, what are you going to study? I.e., what do you want to be when you grow up? And there's this overwhelming sense of, well, I got to know what I'm going to do with my life. Like, I've got to have some kind of an answer. Like, it's almost like it's not appropriate in our culture today to not have things figured out. And that's not only true for seniors, but that bleeds into a number of other areas for all of us. And so this is in some ways, yes, a message for you seniors, but this is also a message for all of us. 
And so we're going to begin in Acts chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at a guy by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul, considered to be one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen. And before Paul becomes Paul, his name is Saul. And so in our story, we're going to be looking at Barnabas and Saul. And what we have recorded in the book of Acts are a series of what are called uh, missionary journeys for this person by the name of Saul, who will then become Paul. And I want to look at the first missionary journey. We'll also look at the second one. But I want to begin in the first missionary journey. And that's Acts chapter 13, verse 1. And this is how it reads. It says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 4, the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. So what we have here in this story is you have the Holy Spirit kicking these missionary journeys into gear. It's the idea of the Holy Spirit. God is launching these journeys. And the Holy Spirit says, set aside for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to do. But here's where it gets really interesting in the text. The Holy Spirit never tells them where to go. The Holy Spirit just says, I've set them apart for some work. And then in the next verse, it says, sent along by the Holy Spirit. And there in the Greek does not mean that the Holy Spirit told them where to go, just that the Holy Spirit said, okay, now is the time to go. And then Barnabas and Saul and a guy by the name of John Mark are with them, basically have to figure out, okay, so where do we go? And the text tells us that they go to Cyprus. Now I want to show you on a map here where we are looking at in reference to this story this morning. Asia Minor is present day Turkey. And Paul's first missionary journey takes place in the southeast corner of Asia Minor today. We are told that Barnabas and Saul are at a place called Antioch, the one on the right side of the picture, which is different than the one in the upper left-hand side of the picture because there was a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes who loved himself so much he named 16 different cities after himself that are known as Antioch. So you always have to like distinguish them. So the one on the upper left is known as Pisidian Antioch or Antioch near Pisidia and the one on the right is Antioch on the Orontes or what is known as Syrian Antioch. So they go from Syrian Antioch, the port city of Seleucia and they go to a place called Salamis. This is by the way in chapters 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit never tells them where to go. They just go to Cyprus. And you go, why go to Cyprus? Well, we know that this is where Barnabas is from. We learned that earlier in the book of Acts. And so it's most likely, okay, well, let's just begin with the hometown crowd for Barnabas, who is the elder at this point in the journey. He is considered to be the mentor of Paul, whose name is Saul at this time. So they go to Cyprus. We find out that they then go to Paphos. And then from Paphos, they seem to make a direct beeline. They got to go 200 miles across the water and then another 125 miles across land. But the point is Antioch. This is where they're going. So something happened at Paphos. And there's some archaeological stuff. We don't have time to get into it today. That seems to indicate why they go towards Antioch. But again, the text never tells us this is where the Holy Spirit tells them to go. 
They just kind of figure out, well, I guess this is where we're supposed to go. And then the last part of their journey, they go from Antioch and then all of a sudden they get ran out of Antioch and they go to Iconium. And you go, well, what happens in Iconium? (laughs) They get ran out of Iconium as well. And so then they end up in Lystra. So I'm sure this is a little bit more of a pleasant stay. Actually not. Paul gets stoned in Lystra to the point where the people think he's dead. He gets up. He walks back into the city, basically says, hello, you didn't kill me. And then they go, well, where should we go next? And then they end up going to this place called Derby. Now you begin to wonder what is going on in all of this. This actually follows the ancient Roman road. If you were to leave Antioch, you would come to Iconium, then Lystra, and then Derby. They're just following the road. And then they get to Derby. Now they have a question of, was, well, do we just kind of drop down into Tarsus, which is, by the way, where Paul grew up? And then swing around and end back to Antioch. And they go, actually, no, we feel like we're supposed to retrace all of our steps. And so then they go from Derby to Lystra, from Lystra to Iconium, from Iconium back to Antioch. They do the 125 miles down to Perga, Italia, and then they sail all the way back to Antioch. And that is Paul's first missionary journey. Now, you get done with that journey and you go, okay, well... That's kind of an interesting way for God to lead them. Well, certainly the second missionary journey trip would be a little bit different because Paul isn't a newbie anymore. He's not a rookie at this. Come with me to the end of Acts chapter 15. So you've got Acts 13 and 14 encompasses the rest of the first missionary journey. Acts 15 is what's known as the Acts Council, the Acts 15 Council. And then notice with me verse 40. It reads this way of Acts chapter 15. But Paul chose Silas. So Saul has now become Paul and Paul is now traveling with a guy by the name of Silas. Says Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So hold this, Cilicia and Syria, these are Roman regions at the time. Skip down with me to verse 6, because those first five verses of chapter 16 encompass Paul picking up a boy by the name of Timothy. Then verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Let's pause there for a moment. So back on a map. Round two of this missionary journey, we have Paul, who is again coming out of Antioch. It says that he goes through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches in Galatia and Phrygia. These are all, again, Roman regions. So instead of going through the water, they go this direction. And basically what you realize is that the first part of this journey is a follow-up journey to the first missionary journey. It's like, well, where are we supposed to go? The Holy Spirit doesn't tell them where to go. God doesn't tell them where to go. It's nowhere recorded in Acts where they're supposed to go. And so it's kind of like, well, we've already established churches in these cities. We might as well just do a follow-up journey and see how they're doing. So they do the follow-up, they get to Antioch, and now they want to go to a place called Asia. Notice the second half of verse 6. So after going throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia... Then it says, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they come to Antioch and they're like, we want to get to Asia, which makes a ton of sense. Because if you understand anything about the Asia minor minor world, 
Asia, the region on the far western side, is where all of your major cities are. All seven of the cities of the churches of Revelation are in this province of Asia. These are your gateway cities. These are your big dog cities. These are your DCs, your New Yorks, your LAs. These are the cities that influence the entire world. And Paul goes, I have this message. It is burning deep in my soul. We got to get to Asia. And what they're told is that they start going to Asia and it says that the Holy Spirit says, nah, you're not going there. They're like, well, then where do, we, where do we go now? Well, let's go north then because that would be a direction. They get to the border of Mysia. They try to get into Bithynia and then it says the spirit of Jesus would not let them go there. You go, what is going on here? Like, why is God doing this with Paul? And then we read in this in the next verse, verse eight. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. And then check this out. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They try to go into Asia, they can't. Holy Spirit says no. They try to go into Bithynia. Jesus says, "Not nah, you're not going there anyway. And then they trek all the way over to Troas and it is there that Paul gets a vision from somebody in Macedonia saying, come over and speak to us. And the way that Luke, the recorder here, records it is he says, well, it just seemed to us that this is where God wanted us to go. And again, you begin to look at this and you go, wait a minute, why is God doing this with Paul? Paul is like giving his life. He's being stoned, he's being shipwrecked, he's being robbed, he's being beat up, he is doing all of this for God. Couldn't God at least just tell him where he's supposed to go? Like, give him the destination in mind. Paul, this is where you're gonna go, this is how long it's gonna take to get there. Have fun, buddy, we'll see you there. But instead, you get this peace, you get this peace, you get this peace. And by the way, Paul's not an aberration. This is the norm on how God works with his people. Let me give you one more example. Abraham. He starts off as Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, he is in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And God calls Abram. And in Genesis 12, God doesn't tell him where to go. He says absolutely nothing about the destination he just simply says to Abram, I want you to begin walking. Just walk. I'll let you know when you get there. And we read that because the very next verse says, well, and Abram walked and he ended up in the land of Canaan. We're like, great. So we walked. Let me show you where Abram walked from. When God called me, he was in Ur of the Chaldeans. He went up along the Euphrates River, up through Haran, came in through Damascus and ended up in the land of Canaan. Now you look at that and you're like, Great, doesn't help me. You just showed me a journey. Let me overlay the modern countries on this little walk that God called Abram to do. He starts just northwest of Kuwait. He goes through Iraq, which by the way is not a flat country. He goes up through Syria, up into Turkey, down through Syria, through Damascus, crosses through Jordan, through the West Bank, into the land of Canaan. Friends, we're talking about 1,100 miles, traveling at the pace of sheep and goats. And God just simply says to Abram, I want you to start walking, and I'll let you know when you get there. You know what these stories tell us about God, don't you? 
It's that God is a God of the journey and not of the destination. That life itself is a journey. It is not a destination. And God, in replicating the reality of life, is a God of the journey. He is not a God of the destination. Now, let's just be really brutally honest. We don't like this about God, do we? Like immediately, some of you are like, okay, this just got deeply personal, right? We are people who like to be in the know. We like to have things figured out. We like knowing what's 5,000 steps down the road. We like to have a sense of what is to come because we are a people who love and are used to control. Back in 2009, when Shallon and I moved back from our stint in Israel, uh, we came back home and while we were gone, we had actually subleased our condo to a couple of college students who took like really good care of the place. Who would have thought, right? Uh, It's probably because we didn't have college guys staying there. We had some college ladies. And they did a great job. But they're college students. They're on a budget. And so they wanted to be very uh, good stewards of their finances. And so when we left, they canceled the cable service that we had. And so when we came back from Israel, we wanted to have cable service. So you know the whole rigmarole. You get on the phone, you call, you get a computer animation, you scream at that for like five minutes. I just want to talk to a real person. You finally get a real person on the phone. You say, hey, I'd like to get some cable. They say, we'll send out a technician in a couple of days. So a couple of days later, a technician shows up at our place. And uh, after he's inst- installing everything, he hands me the remote control. And he says, here is your remote control. And he says, and this thing is fully equipped with DVR. And I was like, what's DVR? He goes, you don't know what DVR is. I said, I don't know what DVR is. I've been in the Middle East for a little while. Can you cut me a break? And he says, okay, digital video recording. Now, by now, everybody probably has an idea of what digital video recording is. To those of the uninitiated, it's the idea that you can pause live television. You can rewind live television. You can fast forward the television up to that present moment. You can record shows when you are away from home. You can even do that from your smartphone. Because this is very different than it used to be in the olden days when the only way that you were able to do this is that you would have to capture a television show on VCR. Does anybody remember these days? Some of the younger generations are like, what's a VCR? Okay, it's like this big box, this big, forget it, just YouTube it, all right? You can figure it all out. And this was something that was totally new. Now it's very, very common to have digital video recording. Let me tell you, I absolutely love digital video recording. You can watch a 60-minute show in 43 minutes and not have to watch the commercials. Right? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But there's an inherent flaw with DVR. And it's not just DVR. It's any new technology. You see, what DVR did for us is that it gave us control over something that we didn't have control over before the invention of DVR. Television controlled us. You want to watch that show, you got to be in your home. You got to have the television on. At that time, you get to watch it. Or you have to have some kind of great VCR programming skills to do that while you are gone. Those are your only two options. But with the implementation of DVR, we are now given control over that which we did not have control of before. 
and this is true of every form of technology, every form of technology gives us more control than what we had before. Now again, is DVR inherently bad or evil? Is technology inherently bad or evil? Absolutely not. But when you live in a world with such technological advances that we get to experience, we are experiencing the world unprecedented in human history. We have more control now than we've ever had before, and as a result of having control, we now continue to long for control. And the problem becomes that when life does not afford us the same level of control the cable companies do, we wig out. We get really unsettled. We start saying, well, God, like, aren't you speaking to me? Am I not hearing you correctly? Like, am I just not, what, what's going on here? Like, how come I don't know all of this thing that, that, that I need to know? Like, and we start to freak out. We start to, to panic a little bit. And in the midst of all of this, we don't recognize that what our world is enabling us to do is to live in greater conflict with the actual world in which we do live. This is something that really rattled me um, in many ways because so often we live with this mentality that, that life is a destination, it's not a journey. We want to know it's 5,000 steps down the road. And when I began introduced to the reality that obviously life doesn't function that way, but God doesn't function that way, it begins to help you see life a little bit differently. So if, if, if God is a God of the journey and not the destination, then the question becomes for all of us is how do we journey well? How do we journey well in the world in which we live? And I believe the rabbis can actually help us with this. Uh, the rabbis are the earliest interpreters of the Bible. You start having recordings of their writings uh, a couple hundred years before the time of Jesus. And uh, Jesus was part of the rabbinic culture. And one of the fascinating conversations among the rabbis comes from Genesis chapter 1. So in Genesis chapter 1, you all know how it begins. In the beginning, God created. Now in Hebrew, it begins this way. Bereshit bara Elohim. You begin on the right, you move to the left. And the first word in Hebrew is this word Bereshit. Now, the rabbis are these kind of like spiritual detectives, and they're always asking these like really riveting, fascinating questions about the text. And one of the questions that they ask, some of you are going to think, really, they're talking about this? Yeah, yeah, just listen to the question for a moment. They go, okay, Bereshit begins with the Hebrew letter bait. Let me show you what that looks like. This is what the letter looks like. And one of the questions they asked was, why does God begin a story about life, about the beginning, but doesn't use a word that begins with the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, so the first word in the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. It's like our A. And then it goes Aleph, Beit, which is like our B. And so they said, but we don't understand. Why would God do that? Why would God start a story but not use a word that has the very first letter at the beginning of the alphabet? And as their discussion continued, and as they went back and forth, this was their conclusion. Their conclusion was this. Of course God would begin a story about the beginning, a story about life, using a word that starts with the Hebrew letter bait, because the letter itself is a picture of life. They said if you were to stand in the middle of the letter, 
you will recognize right away, again, reading from right to left, that you can't go up, you can't go down, you can't go backwards, you can't go back into the past, that the only way you can move is forward, and you can only do so one step at a time. See, friends, we often live with this mindset. We want to know what's 5,000 steps down the road. And it's great to have goals. It's great to have a vision. It's great to have an idea of what you would want to see transpire. But so often we're so focused on the destination that we lose focus in the present. We aren't fully present to what God is doing. And as a God who is a God of the journey, not the destination, it's in the journey that you learn to trust God. It is in the journey where you have to be discerning to what God is asking you to do in that day, at that moment, in that point in time. We are not called to figure out the 5,000 steps down the road. We're called, and we can get this very personal, you're called to simply take the next right step. That's it. What's the next right step? Take that. I need to take this step. Great, once you're here at this step, now you can ask the question again. So what's the next right step to take? And when you take the next right step and then the next right step, the 5,000 steps take care of themselves and you get where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to get there and you take all of the right steps along the way to get there. John Wooden, who is arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest basketball coach to ever live, and by the way, a passionate, passionate follower of Jesus he was, said this at one point. He says, when you improve a little each day, eventually big things occur. Don't look for the quick, big improvement. Seek the small improvement one day at a time. That's the only way it happens. And when it happens, it lasts. Don't worry about that. What do you got to do today? Be focused on that and the future will take care of itself because we're only called to take the next right step. Remember after uh, my first year of seminary, I was, um, wow, I was like totally trying to figure out my entire life. And it was causing a lot of anxiety within me. And I had a chance to, to meet with Ray Vanderlaan. And Ray was helping me with some things. And so we sat down one day and I was talking with him and I said, Ray, I said, uh, I, just gotta, I just gotta share something with you. He says, what's that? And then almost like I was hyperventilating, I shared with him that I was now a year through seminary and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Like I didn't know if I wanted to be a lead pastor or a teaching pastor or a college professor or a seminary professor or whether or not I wanted to be a youth pastor or whether or not I wanted to lead trips to the Middle East or whether I wanted to do this or I wanted to do that. And all of a sudden he's like, Brad, just like calm down for a moment, take a deep breath. And he said to me, he said, you don't have to have everything figured out. And he said to me then, what do you believe that you're called to do? And I said, I believe I'm, I'm called to be a teacher. Like, that's what I'm called to do. I just want to be a teacher. He said, then your job is to become the best teacher you can possibly be 
and then you let God figure out where all your teachings get channeled to. And I remember leaving that conversation set free of not worrying about what that was going to be down the road. Wasn't time for that yet. But what I did know in that moment was, what's my next step? What do I got to do to become a better and better teacher? And I'll let God do what God wants to do when God wants to do it. See, it's true of sports. It's true of our calling. It's also true in the business world. This last week, it was so timely, and this is how God often works to kind of confirm like the direction of a teaching or whatever, is like all of these things will just start popping. And last week, I received a video in my email box from a guy by the name of Jeff Walker. I'll just show you, uh, this is Jeff Walker, and uh, this is a uh, business guru. He does, um, he's, he's a major entrepreneur. He does a lot of online stuff, online marketing and whatnot. And a very, very accomplished, intelligent individual. And one of the things that I like to do is follow some of our, our best business minds in the world and just try to figure out what are they learning? What's going on in their culture? How are they adapting? What's going on? And so I follow a video blog that he does and he sends out uh, a short video every week. And the video from this last week was a four minute video clip of Jeff Walker being on Necker Island. Now, Necker Island is the personal private island of Richard Branson. Richard Branson is the founder of the Virgin Group. They own more than 400 companies. And the last I checked, Richard Branson's net worth uh, is just a measly $5.2 billion. And uh, what Richard Branson did is he invited a number of entrepreneurs Jeff Walker included, to come with him to Necker Island. And on Necker Island, they spent a few days just talking about business. And they talked about where they were at and they talked about, well, how are we doing this or what are you learning in this area? And Jeff was on Necker Island and he is recording this. And he basically said, in a, in a nutshell, he said this. He said, I'm standing here on Necker Island, which is the personal island of Richard Branson. We have a number of business entrepreneurs who are out here and we've spent the last several days just talking about business and how we're doing things. And he says, you have to understand, these are some of the brightest minds in our world getting together to talk business. And he goes, and here's what I wanna share with you in this video. Nobody's got things figured out. He said, we have ideas of what may be coming. We're working towards certain things, but every single day, is about problem solving and trying to figure out what to do next. And he went off and he gave this analogy about climbing a mountain and he used it in the point of when you start off with, to climb a mountain, he says, you can't see the entire mountain, especially if it's a big mountain. And he says, especially once you get above tree line, he says like everything changes, oxygen changes, the landscape changes, the rules change. And he said, what you begin to find out is that this is such a beautiful picture of life. And then he used these words. We don't have it all figured out. All we need to do is figure out the next step. And that's what we as businessmen are doing here on this island is trying to figure out how do we cultivate a better understanding of how do we take the next step. It's a fallacy to think people have everything figured out. And for some of us, we live life in such a way where it makes us very anxious, makes us very uneasy because we think we have to have everything figured out. But listen, all we're called is to do is to take the next right step. 
If you're a business owner this morning and you're thinking through like, how do you get your business to get to this point? Like this is the vision down the road. That is fantastic. That is wonderful. That's a destination mind step. What's the next right step you need to take? What's the next thing you need to do with your employees this week in order to get to that point? For those of you who are going, okay, like I'm in a different phase of life, like I'm just thinking that, that this could be applicable to my debt. Like you live in debt right now and you go, man, all I wanna do is be out of debt. That's a fabulous goal. We are with you, we are celebrating. That's a destination mindset. What's the next step you need to take? What's the credit card that needs to be cut up this week? What's the conversation you need to have with a financial advisor friend? How do you need to consolidate your debt? What do you need to do next in order to take the next right step in eliminating that debt? For those of you who are like parents and you're like, man, I just hope my kids end up a certain way. Fabulous, wonderful, that's a destination mindset. Nothing wrong with goals, nothing wrong with visions, nothing wrong with this is where we want to end up, but what's the next right step to take this week? What kind of a rhythm do you need to implement in your family in order for your kids to grow in this area, for their character to develop in order to become this person that you want them to be? How can you take the next step. You're struggling with something, you're addicted with something, and the whole mindset is, is I just want this addiction over and gone with. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. Absolutely, we're with you. That's a destination mindset. What's the next right step you've got to take? You see, when we start thinking in the terms of 5,000 steps, we do that because we want control. But the irony is, is that it infuses us with anxiety. That the very thing we long for is the most anxiety-producing thing that we have. But when we think in terms of just the next step, that becomes very, very manageable. I now wanna to speak to our seniors. And what I would like to have you do is in preparation for the thing we're gonna do next, can I have all my seniors stand right where you're at? Could you stand for a moment? Fabulous. Um, in fact, you know what? We're just gonna have you do that. I want to like the seniors who are in here. Why don't you guys just come down here in front? Guys and gals, why don't you come down in front and let's just stand in front for a few moments. I got two things I wanna share with you. <laughs> and then I'm gonna pass this off. First of all, can we just say congratulations to all of our seniors for a quick moment? <laughs> seniors, this is just between us right now and just lots of people are listening in, okay? I hope for each of you that this is something that you hold on to dearly for the rest of your life. And particularly now as you're trying to figure out, am I going to college, am I going to work, what's next for me, what does this need to be? There's going to be lots of maybe pressures that are gonna come around you that you gotta have things figured out. You don't have to have things figured out. You're only called to take the next step. If you're like, at some point I wanna do this, but I can't afford college right now and you've gotta go work, great, fabulous. The question becomes is when you start this work, what's the one step you could take in the direction of what you ultimately want to do? 
for those of you who are going off to college right now and you have an idea of your major because you've got to kind of declare it and you want to keep it kind of broad, question becomes is what becomes the next right step for you when you get there? If you want to be an elementary teacher, I had a friend of mine a couple of years ago who went to college and they've done a much better job of getting you into the classroom early. They went through their first two years doing elementary education. They went and spent the time in a classroom. They said, I never want to be in the classroom again. What does it look like for you to job shadow somebody in your field of work, to be able to take a next right step in that area? Now, if you've gone through four years and mom and dad have taken care of all of college and you haven't declared a major yet, you're probably gonna have some interesting conversations, okay? But just know that life is a journey, that God is the God of the journey, and that God wants to journey with you because it's in the day in and day out decisions of just making the next right step where God will become more real to you than at any other point. Because God is a God who desires to walk with you every single day. As a church, we are proud of you. We are with you. We are celebrating with you your graduation. And we are cheering you on for whatever, whatever is next. And the last thing I just wanted to say to you is this. Earlier, Becca made an announcement about baptism. For those of you, you're all starting a new phase of your life. I don't know where you've been, you're at in your life, where you're at in your walk with Jesus, but if you have never, ever been baptized, I can't encourage you enough to take that step, to be the next step in your faith and as a launching pad for what God has for you next. It's one of the most significant things that, that you will ever do. So if that's something you haven't done, just want you to hear that from me. And now what I'd like to do is I'd like to just pass it over to Pastor Lance. Um, he has been your pastor for the last several years. He's the one who has walked with you. He's the voice that you have heard. And I wanna pass it over to him because Lance and I got together along with the Next Gen team and we got together and we said, based on what we are gonna do today, how can we bless you? How can we do something that would be special for you as a way of remembering this as you go forward in your journey? So uh, you know him, but for all of us, can we again pa welcome Pastor Lance? Take it away, buddy. Hey, thanks, Brad. So we thought, what can we give this group to remember this teaching and to remember to, to not freak out in, in their future? And we came up with this, the Hebrew letter bet. And it says on here, take the next right step. And what's cool about this is this was made by your classmates. They made these in Terry Cucci's woodshop for you to set on your shelf or your desk. Just to remember, all I have to do is take one step at a time and not worry about what's next. I remember meeting many of you at Camp Beach Point eight years ago at your fifth grade retreat. And I remember telling you two stories. I got to show up and here was this crazy youth pastor and you guys were wide-eyed and excited. Uh, I remember telling you about a bully that was messing with me in sixth grade and I threw a juice box at him and it exploded on this girl's white fur coat. And I remember the other story about this guy that I knew who wanted a Fwasti from Wendy's. And how God is with us in this, I remember this teaching, God is with us in the next big step we have to take. And taking that step into sixth grade was a big step for a lot of you. And I've been a youth pastor for 16 years and half of my ministry journey has been with you guys since then, the last eight years. Because when you came up to high school, so did I from middle school. So we've journeyed from sixth grade all the way to now, today. We've done weddings together with siblings, missions trips, winter camp, 
summer camp, right? One-on-ones, hospital visitations, broken legs, eye gashes, broken arms from roller skating, right? (laughs) Cliff jumping accidents. Most of those were for me, those ER visits, right? We've done a lot of life together. And today, I just want to take a second to say, you guys have always been a great class. I'm so proud of you. And I just want to pray over you. And then we'll continue in worship. You can pick these up right over here at the end of the service too. Let's pray. God, thanks for being a God who is with us every day, every step of the journey. And Lord, even though you see ahead and you know what's behind, you're above and below, you hedge us in. But Lord, you know what we need to do next. And so I pray this class specifically would lean into you, especially the days when they feel lost, when they feel unsure, when they feel scared or broken that they know that you're with them. So Lord, we pray for their futures. We pray for their past, that that would be under the blood of Jesus, that you would ordain the next step for them. We count it a blessing and an honor, Lord, I do, to have baptized many of them, to have have cried with them, to have laughed with them, and Lord, most of all, to watch them make decisions to follow you. And so I pray that their graduation today wouldn't be a graduation from church. We thank you that they're graduating to something greater and something more exciting, that you are with them every step of the way. We love you, and we lift up the name of Jesus.